we have uh, we started this series. I don't even know. I don't even know that I've called what we've called this series, but uh, we'll just call it "Walking in Victory." How's that? Walking in Victory, and uh, we started out four weeks ago. This I think is the fifth week, and so you should have five handouts. I think that's right. And uh, you know, we started out with the with the question or the the premise of you know, do we really understand what it means to be born again? And, you know, if somebody were to ask you uh, what does it mean to be saved or what does it mean to be born again, could you describe it in a way, uh, could you you describe it in a biblical way, I guess is the best way to put that. And, you know, to where where, uh, most, and, and, you know, we've talked about that. Most of us would answer, well, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's my ticket to heaven. I'm no longer going to hell. And that's a a great part of it. And that's a good part of it. And, And if that was all there was, that would be wonderful. But as we've looked at it, and as we've looked these last couple of weeks, um, it, it entails so much more than just a ticket to heaven. And you know, because of that, um, because and because so many people so much so much of the time are ignorant of, um, you know, of what the word says about salvation and really what it means, we miss out on a huge part of what Jesus has already paid for us. We struggle with wondering, well, is it God's is it God's will to heal? Is it God's will to prosper? Is it God's will to set people free from addictions? Is it, you know, does God really want this for me in my life? Well, when you truly understand salvation and when you truly understand what G- the price that Jesus paid on the cross and what He did for you, it starts answering all those questions. Because as we found out, we've looked at different scriptures. We've, like I said, we've looked at, um, this is our fifth week in this, um, and we've, we've talked about, you know, what salvation is, what the Word means, um, all of the, 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 you know, the scriptures that we've talked about that. We've looked at, um, you know, the covenant. We've looked at the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. And then, the, uh, you know, the difference between that and, and how we live, you know, the, the old covenant. Um, you know, the difference between the old and the new covenant and how the new covenant is so much better. The Bible says it's a better covenant cut on better promises. And, you know, and if that's the case, the old covenant was pretty good. Abraham's blessings, uh, you know, I mean, they were pretty good. I mean, the, the covenant he got with Abraham was not a bad covenant. But you and I live in a better covenant, cut on better promises than what Abraham had. So it's like, wow, you know. And, but if we don't understand that, then we, we, walk, we will never walk in the fullness of what he has for us to walk in. So last week, we started talking about, you know, God cut covenant. And, and there was three or four times he did that in the old covenant or in the Old Testament. But we started looking specifically at the covenant that God cut with Abraham. And, of course, his name was Abram at the time. And, but he, God cut covenant with him, changed his name. He went through the whole, you know, we went two weeks ago, I guess we went through the, the process of cutting covenant, what that looked like, what that meant. Last week we asked this question, what was it that Abraham believed? If, if Abraham, you know, because the Bible says like, I think it's six different times in the Bible that the Bible says Abraham believed and it was counted to him for righteousness. So if Abraham believed something and it was counted to him as righteousness, then that means that you and I can believe, and really, to be honest with you, we can believe the same things Abraham believed, and, and, and it, it will only help improve our understanding. Now, we, we do understand, you know, and, and this, really, this really was birthed out of the Scripture that, where it says that, uh, where Paul was talking and he said that, um, there in Hebrews, and he said, I, he said, you know, I, he said, I have so much more to say to you, but, but, you know, he said, but you're unskilled in the word of righteousness. So, so if you can be unskilled in the word of righteousness, that means you can be skilled in it, right? 
And, and if you're unskilled in it, he, he, you know, what Paul was telling him, he said, you're unskilled in the word of righteousness. And he said, I can't tell you anything else. You know, you can't, you're not ready for it. You won't receive it. So if you're unskilled in the word of righteousness, you're limited on what you can receive from God. And it's not God's fault, but it's our fault for being unskilled in it. Because he, because he never intended for us to be unskilled. Paul, that was like a rebuke. Paul was saying, you, sh- you should be much further along right now. And there was another passage, another time Paul said the same thing to another group of people. He said, he said you should be teachers. And he said, here I am having to feed you with a bottle. You know, I mean, it was a rebuke to be, to be ignorant. You know, so Paul said, he said, you shouldn't be ignorant in the word of righteousness, in righteousness or in God's way of doing things. So last week, if you remember, you know, we asked the question, what was it Abraham believed? And just if you look back on those notes from last week, if you got that, we said that Abraham believed, and, and there was other things too, but these were the five main points that, that I pulled out that we said that Abraham believed. Abraham believed in a supernatural birth. You, you remember that. He believed in that supernatural birth because he was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 years old, past the, past the uh, childbearing age, the Bible says. But God told them, you know, if, you know believe because, because the, the son that will be born will come out of your loins, he told Abraham. So, so, you know, Abraham believed, and at a hundred years old, he was a hundred, Sarah was ninety, she had her first, her first son. And so it was a supernatural birth because, because, you know, it was just because she was past that age where, where she was supposed to have kids. So it was a supernatural birth. God did a supernatural thing, and he believed in that. He believed God enough to offer his son as a sacrifice. We talked about how God told him after, when Isaac was somewhere between 12 and 30, we don't know how old he was. But somewhere in there, God told him, said, take your son on a three days journey and offer him up as a sacrifice. Well, Abraham knew that, it, that he was the promise. Isaac was the promise, the seed that, that God had promised him. But yet Isaac was obedient to God, and he took him up and he offered him as a sacrifice. And the Bible said, Abraham made that bold statement. He, he told his servants that went with him. He said, y'all stay here. The lad and I are going to worship, and we're coming back. Hebrews tells us, that Abraham, in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews tells us that Abraham, he had such a belief, he said that even if God has to raise him from the ashes, I know that my seed is going to come through Isaac. You know, so, so what a faith that he had. And the question is, how could he have that, how, how could he have such a great faith? Right? And we talked about that last week. The third was that he believed for three days that his son was as good as dead. It was a three-day journey. So for three days, in his heart, his son was as good as dead because he knew he was going to walk up to that mountain and build an altar and sacrifice. And his, his, the Bible says that, that the Lord told him to, to offer him as a burnt offering. Now, we kind of, we kind of find that uh, like very uh, hard and harsh. But in that day, parents offered their kids as burnt offerings. And it, was, I mean, it, it wasn't out of the ordinary you know, for God to, you know, not when well, God didn't offer them to do that. They offered them to idols for that. Let me let me rephrase that. But but for for Abraham, it wasn't uh, it wasn't out of the ordinary to hear you know offer your son as a burnt offering because people did that in the in the secular world in the to idols all the time. But it wasn't it wasn't for a it wasn't sacrificing to a to a false god. This was something that God was testing Abraham in. Because, now remember, God had cut covenant with Abraham, and Abraham was part of the covenant, and God was testing, he was checking to see if how, how much of the covenant Abraham truly believed. Right? 
And, and you know, so, so he believed for three days that he was as good as dead. But he also believed that God would provide a sacrifice or raise his son from the dead. And we know that in Abraham's heart, that Isaac was already dead because when the angel showed up, he said, "You have." Or-, he said, "He said, stop! Don't you know? Don't kill your son." He said, "Because in your heart, you've already done it." In other words, Isaac had already offered his son. He 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 reckoned his son dead, right? And in the New Testament, Paul tells us to reckon ourselves dead to sin, just like Abraham reckoned his son dead. In other words, in his heart, he was he was already dead because God told him to offer him as a sacrifice. Abraham didn't know how that was going to happen, but he knew that God was going to raise him back up from the dead, and he was walking off that mountain that day with him. But, but he had that faith, but, but in his heart, he had already done it. So what, what God told Abraham, he said, you've already done this thing in your heart, so, so you know, it's as good as done. And, it was, and that was a foretaste, that was a shadow of what God was getting ready to do some thousand years later, you know, when Jesus would, when Jesus would come up on the scene. And then fifth, he believed that on that very mountain that God would provide Himself the substitute sacrifice. And, and sure enough, He did. And, and now fast forward to when Jesus was here, it was on that very mountain that Jesus was sacrificed and that He was, that he was hanging on the cross and that He rose again on that very same mountain So uh, that Abraham offered Him. So the question is this. If that's what Abraham believed, then how does that relate to us? So, and we said the same thing, that we must believe in a supernatural birth. So tonight we're going to look at what is the importance of, this, of the virgin birth? And I know we're coming up on Christmas here and, and you know, just within a month or so. Um, so it kind of it fits into the season. But you don't hear a lot of stories about, about the, the virgin birth and Mary and, and all that throughout the year. But listen, I want to tell you something. The virgin birth, the birth of Jesus Christ was one of the most supernatural, miraculous stories in the Bible. I mean, it is, it, it is the, it is the it kind of, to be honest with you, it set the standard for all miracles. Because, if, now you can turn to, to the notes I gave you tonight, and we'll look at this. The virgin birth of Jesus is, is crucial to who Jesus is. Because without, without which He could not uh, be our Savior. In other words, the, without the virgin birth, He could not be our Savior. And without the virgin birth, there would be no salvation. So without, without the virgin birth, he couldn't be a savior, and we wouldn't we wouldn't have a savior right now. So the virgin birth is very important to all of us, right? Now the question always comes because people always and I and I hear this question, especially around Christmas time, you'll hear this question a lot. But well, was Mary really a virgin? And how how could she be a virgin and have a son? You know how could that happen? And of course, you know there's some people um, throughout throughout history, and even in even in in the days of Jesus. There were different groups. I, I, I just printed this out and, and brought this with me. There was like five different groups that didn't believe in the virgin birth. And, you know, that, that, the, that the disciples through the years uh, following, you know, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that they, they fought because, they, because people would say that the, the virgin birth didn't happen. The um, Iranians, A-R-I-A-N-I-A-N-S, the, Irani, the Iranians, I guess that's how you say that, I don't know. But they taught that the word virgin um, from Isaiah 7:14, which which was a prophecy that Isaiah gave about that the sign to King Ahaz would be uh, a woman would uh, a virgin would be would carry a, a son, and that he would save them from their sins. Well, they taught that, and they said that that word virgin in that in that uh, particular scripture 
just simply meant young woman. And that so Mary, they said that Mary was not a, was not a virgin and that therefore that, like her and Joseph had relations, had had sex and, and that she got pregnant by Joseph. And they were just saying that it was a, that she was a virgin just to, you know, just to further the story of Jesus. You know, there was another group, the, Eb- the Ebonites, they taught that Jesus was Joseph's biological son, and because Jesus is righteous, because Jesus is righteousness, God chose him to be a prophet. So they thought that just because he was such a good person, that Jesus was just a prophet. And of course, we have we have whole religions today that teach that that Jesus was just a, a good man, that was a prophet. You know that he wasn't the son of God. There's there's whole you know multiple religions that don't believe that Jesus was truly the son of God. Then the third one was the Gnostics, and the the Gnostics taught that God could not inhabit a material body, therefore Jesus only appeared to be human. In other words, the Gnostics they didn't believe they didn't believe that God could actually dwell in a human body, so they said that Jesus was just like a mirage, or you know, a, just a like a ghost, and he appeared human, and you know, because they didn't believe that God could 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 be in a, a mortal body, and they didn't believe. Um, they didn't believe in the resurrection, so they didn't believe that he died. You know, I mean, so or they believed that he died and somebody stole the body, basically, or whatever. You know, but they but they didn't. But really, their main belief was that um, that God couldn't even inhabit a material body. <coughs> the fourth group, um, the fourth group, the liberal theologians, and and this was actually even today. This this kind of fast forwards to some today. The liberal theologians. They deny the virgin birth because they do not believe in divine miracles. You know, people will say that, that miracles were not real, so therefore Mary couldn't have been a virgin. And then you, you have some groups that believe that, that miracles stopped after the, after the disciples died and different things like that. But there, there are groups that don't even believe any miracle happened and that this, this is just a book of stories and it's not, it's not really true. And then the fifth group is just the false translations of Scripture which replaced the word virgin with young woman. And, um, and there's a couple different, like some of your modern translations, some of them actually, like for the word virgin, they will actually just put young woman in there, insinuating that she wasn't a virgin, that, that she was just a good, moral person. And so, so you have to be careful. And see, so, so, so now let me pose that question again. So why is the virgin birth so important to us as Christians? Paul? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Very important. I mean, listen, the virgin birth, if, if Jesus was not born of a virgin, and we'll get into, I, I think I, I put three or four points. I think I wrote down four points tonight. But, but you know, our whole, our whole um, theology, to be honest with you, our whole belief system is based around the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin. If you don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, then you really can't believe anything else that Jesus did. It starts, this starts at the virgin birth. So let's just real quickly, um, we know the story, but let's just look at Luke's account. I like, I, I enjoy Luke's account. And Matthew chapter 1 uh, gives a great account as well. Matthew and Luke are the two, uh, the two scriptures that give the account of, of Jesus, of the birth of Jesus. And here in Luke chapter 1, and starting in verse 26, it says this, Luke 1, 26, and... I'll just read this real quick. He says, um, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent 
from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed are you among women. And when she, when Mary saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind, or thought in her mind, what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou, art, thou hast found favor with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give uh, unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. So then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing that I know not a man? In other words, she was a spouse, she was engaged to Joseph. Now in that day, being engaged was a lot different than in our society because when you were espoused in, in biblical days, what that meant was that your families entered into a contract with one another. Mary's mom and dad would have went to Joseph's or, or would have went to uh, yeah Joseph's mom and dad and and said we're going to enter into contract. Our two kids are going to be married, and they would enter into contract with each other. The only way there was two ways that you could get out of this contract. One was if somebody was unfaithful. And according to Deuteronomy, or Leviticus, I believe, Deuteronomy or Leviticus, the, the, the uh, penalty, if you were unfaithful when you were engaged, in other words, if you, had, if you had sex outside of that, then the penalty of that was stoning in the middle of the city. That's, you know, that's pretty strict, isn't it? The only other way you could get out of it was death. Once you were engaged, once you were espoused, you were married. I mean, you know, you. I mean, you know, you. I mean, you were you were in it, and there was no backing out of it. Now that 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 time period where you were when you were espoused or what we call engaged was anywhere from like six months to a year, and it gave the it gave the 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 man time to go home and build the house, prepare the house, get everything ready. Then he would come back and get get the woman, and they would go through this whole ceremony of of, of a wedding and and so forth and so on. But so it says that she was, you know, she was a spouse to him. But she told the angel in verse thirty-four, she said, "I know not a man, or I've never had sex with a man. I've never had relations with a man." And the angels answered her. Now this is very important. Listen to this. The angel answered her and said unto her, "The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, uh, therefore also that holy thing which shall be born." Of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is her sixth month, or this is the sixth month with her who was called who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to your word, and the angel departed from her. And then you know, you know the rest of the story there. Matthew has, has really close to the same account of that. So why is it important for us to believe that? Let's look at a couple points here and look at just a few scriptures in the time we have uh, left. Number one, I put here, Jesus is and has always been part of the Trinity. Okay, so, so in order for Jesus to be born in this earth, okay, look at these points. If, Jesus, if Joseph was Jesus' father, then Jesus would only would have only, and I put only in, in big letters there, 
if Joseph was Jesus' father, in other words, if Joseph had had relations with Mary and, and got pregnant the natural way, if Joseph had, had, had you know, provided the sperm that, and Mary provided the egg and that's the way that she got pregnant, then, she would, then Jesus would only be a human being. Now look at, look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, and notice this, this Scripture. <clears throat> and it says, and, and here in Matthew chapter 1, it gives, the, it gives the genealogy of Jesus, and it breaks down all the, all the genealogy. At the very bottom of that, at the very, you know, coming right up to Joseph here, notice what it says. It says, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now notice that. Every other one, it said that so-and-so begat so-and-so, and then so-and-so begat so-and-so. And it was, it was saying that, you know, like, you know, Paul, Paul had, you know, begat Jim, and Jim begat Joe, and Joe begat so-ever. But when it got to Joseph, notice what it said here. It said, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom the son of whom was born Jesus. So the lineage stops with Joseph. It doesn't say Joseph begat Jesus. It says Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was born, who who of her was born Jesus, the Son of God. So you see here that that you know even in the particular language, Matthew and 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 every other place you see, one thing you'll never find it never like when you see when you see Joseph or, or when you see Jesus. It never calls Joseph his father. Like everybody else, most everybody else, like you know, like when they introduce themselves, they would say, "Well, I'm Stephen, the son of so and so." But when Jesus, when if you notice, when Jesus was introduced to people, or or when he when he was shown up in Scripture, he was never the son of Joseph because Joseph was not his natural father. Because if Joseph had been his natural father, then he would be identical to you and I, which means that he would have had a sin nature. And it, and it would have been impossible for him to be our sacrifice. Okay? The second point. If, if Joseph was Jesus' father, then Jesus would not have been the Son of God. And look at John chapter 1. You know, this, you know this, but let's just look at this. John chapter 1. And you might say, well, Pastor, why are you, why are you taking the time to go through this? Because this is important. It's very important for us to understand that the birth of Jesus Christ being born of a virgin is, not, is much more than just a picture on a Christmas card. This is central to, to your believing the entire gospel and to you entering into the covenant and understanding the covenant that God entered into. Because you see, this, this was the start, and really, and I don't know that it was the start, I may not say that, but this was a huge part of the plan of God, the, the redemptive plan the, the start, I guess we could say the start, it was the start of the covenant. Jesus had to be born, and He had to be just like you and I in the standpoint of a human with, with emotions and feelings and, and things like that. But the biggest difference had to be that, you know, when you offered a sacrifice, it had to be perfect. And there is no one that has ever walked the earth that is perfect from Adam and Eve, because we've, we looked at this the last couple of weeks as well, the last, you know, we've looked at that scripture a few weeks back, talking about when Adam and Eve fell, when they sinned, that from that point forward, everybody that has entered this earth had a sin nature. Right? We saw that. And we're gonna, we'll look here at Romans in just a second and see that. 
But, but if, if Joseph was Jesus' father, then Jesus could not have been the Son of God. Here in, in John chapter 1, it tells us who Jesus was, or is, I should say. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, we know that Jesus, throughout the Scripture, uh, He is called the Word. So here it tells us that in the beginning, you can substitute the word Jesus and and the word, you could interchange those two. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and, and Jesus was God. He was part of the Trinity. And it says, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him, talking about Jesus, in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear record of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. Now remember, Gabriel showed up to Mary and told Mary that your aunt, is, is uh, Elizabeth, is pregnant. She and and the the baby that was inside of her was John. If you if you continue reading that story, when Mary goes to see Elizabeth, when Mary greets her, they they walk in and Elizabeth's probably like Mary, you know, and Mary's like Elizabeth. And as soon as John, the baby that's in Elizabeth's womb, six months old, when she hears Mary's voice, the Bible says he was filled with the Holy Ghost and he jumped on the inside of Elizabeth, just at the salutation of Mary. Why? Because he knew she was carrying the Savior. See, John was sent. John was born to be, a, to be a forerunner to Jesus, to prepare people for Jesus. And that's exactly what he did. He was one that cried in the wilderness, the Bible says. And he was out there, and he was the one that was out there baptizing people when Jesus went to him to be baptized himself. And John's like, I, you know, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, suffer it to be so, you know, just to fulfill the Scripture. And John baptized Jesus, and, and you know. But anyway, so, so John was not the light, but he, he came to bear record of the light. And then verse 9, it says, uh, that, was, that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. How many of y'all believe on Jesus tonight? Well, guess what? He empowers you to be sons of God. Come on, that's, that's a, man, that's worth shouting about. Amen? So here, so we see that Jesus, Jesus was God, but yet He came to the earth. Now the reason, the next, let's look at the next one because I'm getting way ahead of myself. Point number two was this. Jesus had a sinless nature, therefore He was the perfect sacrifice. Point A says this. If Jesus had a human father, He would have inherited the sin nature. Alright, look at Romans chapter 5. You see, because I'm, I'm just proving a point to you here. I'm, we're, we're laying the foundation to where to where nobody, nobody can tell you, nobody should be able to talk you out of the fact that Jesus was God, He is God. Even while He was on the earth, He was still God, but the Bible says He laid down His godly attributes. 
so that he could live his life like you and I. And, and so that, see, because listen, if Jesus came, if, you know, since Jesus came to the earth as God, if he did everything he did as God, it would, it would do you and I very little good. Because we would always say, yeah, but that's Jesus. He's God. You know. But see, the Bible says that when He came, He laid down His rights. In other words, it says that, that He became poor so we might be made rich. He laid down every heavenly attribute He had. And he, when, he, when, when the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary that day, and, and Jesus was formed in, her, her, in, in His womb... See, because here, and, and we we know this by natural science today, and that that the uh, you know the the woman carries the seed, but the the male is the one that carries, or the woman carries the egg, but the male is the one that carries the seed. The you know when the when the egg is pregnated, the seed is what determines what that egg's going to be, what that baby's going to be. In other words. Coming from the man, the, the, the man's DNA and the man's, you know, everything about the man really goes into that baby much more than even what the woman is. Now, the woman is the carrier of it, and the woman grows that baby, and, and you know, and there's a bond that, you know, can't be, you know, duplicated at all. But here's, here's the thing, though. See, the male, the reason that, that, the reason that Joseph could not be the dad was because if he had been the dad, then his seed, which was corrupted, would have went into that egg, and Jesus would have been a corrupted seed, just like you and I. So the Holy Spirit came and overshadowed Mary and impregnated her. It don't mean that the Holy Spirit had sex with her, because she was a virgin, okay? Now, there was scriptures that said that, that the, the angels came down and had... Uh, you know the the ones that were rebellious and all that stuff, and it says they had sex with the with the daughters of men, and and that's what caused the giants in the land and all kind. Of, I mean that's a whole that's a whole another story, but 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 we're not talking about that tonight, okay? We're we're saying that the Holy Spirit came down and and you know hovered over her. Just listen, it's the same thing as creation. If you go look at creation, the Holy Spirit was hovering. Over the over the darkness, over the the deep, until until he got the word. Here's what I want: light be. And the Holy Spirit's like, whew, and the Holy Spirit created light based on the word that God that God has spoke. So so the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and 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 formed in her Jesus. And he and so Jesus, although he had a human body, he did not have the sin nature that you and I have. So here in Romans chapter 5, real quick, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, and we've read this many times, and you all know this, but we'll just go through it again. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So because of Adam's one trespass... Now notice, now see, I was thinking about this today. See, because notice, who was the first one, who was the one that really committed the sin? In the Garden of Eden, it was Eve. If you think about that, right? Who was the first one to take the fruit? You know, but the Bible says Adam freely took of it because I believe. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of different thoughts about this, but I believe he when when she took that fruit, I believe he saw what happened to her, and he knew that he was going to be separated from her, and he didn't want to be separated from her, so he took the fruit. 
Because when he, when he first saw her, what did he say? Whoa, man. You know, and, you know, that's how she got her name. You know, so, so he's like, I don't want to be separated from that. You know, and, but anyway, but then notice, notice who it was that really, I mean, when the, when the correction came down, really, Adam, I mean, you know, he, God, God said, Adam, it's your fault. And what did Adam do? Adam said, that woman you gave me. He tried to pass the buck. But anyway, what I'm saying is this. Because of that one sin, because of that one thing, that Adam, Adam, God had told Adam specifically, do not eat of that fruit. You can eat anything else. Don't eat of that fruit. And, and Adam and Eve both did that. Now, and, you know, and, and you, can, you can have all kinds of beliefs about, you know, which, you know all of that stuff. But, but the point is, they both, they both ate the fruit. And then they both lost the glory, and, and you know because of what they did, from from there from from that point forward, every single person that has ever entered the earth has entered into the earth separated from God. But then Romans goes on to tell us here in chapter five, and we won't take the time to read it, but but Romans goes on to tell us that if sin if sin entered into the world and corrupted every person by one man's disobedience. He said, by the same way, by one man's obedience, shall salvation come. So just like Adam disobeyed, when Jesus came into the world and he grew up, and he grew up sinless, he never one time missed the mark. He never one time disobeyed God. He, he lived his life sinless, perfect. And because of his obedience, because of his obedience, he could become the perfect sacrifice and he could take our place pay our debt, pay our judgment, take, take our judgment upon Him, and because of that, you and I don't have to handle that, don't have to have judgment poured out on us. Amen. But if Jesus, if Jesus had been born of a human father, He could not have done that. So He was, he was God, and, and He lived on this earth, but He lived on this earth as a man. And the things He did was, He did them as a man, because he said that because the Bible tells us that he was our example. And if Jesus if Jesus can live this life as a man, so can you and I. Amen. Point B under under number 2 says if Jesus would have would have had a sin nature, he could not have been our perfect sacrifice for sin. And we know 2 Corinthians 5:21 Let's just let's just read these scriptures and just put your eyes on them, and we can quote them and and stuff. But it's good to just to to let your eyes rest on them and and see it for yourself. So notice, so Jesus, if 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 he had a sin nature, he could not have been he could not have been our perfect sacrifice. But since he was perfect and he did not have the sin nature because he was his father was not Joseph, but his father was God, right? Because of that, look in verse in Second Corinthians five twenty one. It said this: For God hath made Jesus, for for He hath made Him. God has made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we, that you and I, might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. See, so He took since Jesus was perfect, God could put our sin upon Him, and then He could put His righteous Jesus's righteousness upon us. And that's the reason He put us in Christ, because in Christ we're perfect. Jesus became sin for us so that we could be put in Him and be made perfect in Him. We are made righteous. We don't become righteous because of our works, 
but we're made righteous because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And we're going to look at that in a couple of weeks. Point number three. Let's let's get we'll get through this. Uh, actually, Hebrews chapter nine. Let's look at this. This is a good a good scripture here. Hebrews nine fourteen. He said this. Uh, verse thirteen says this. For if the uh, well, let's just go up to verse eleven. I have to get three contacts. But Christ being being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and a more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building or not of this world. Neither by the blood of bulls and calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, shall he purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, that's a, that's a mouthful, but all he was saying was this. If in the natural, if in the natural God would accept the, the blood of bulls and goats and, and the sprinkling of the ashes of the heifer for one year, of one year covering of the sin, he said, how much more will, will Jesus' perfect blood offered in the heavenly holy of holies how much more will it purify you and cleanse you than the, the than the blood of bulls and goats, man? And, and now that's we're gonna we're, we're gonna see that a little bit more when we get when we talk about uh, what happened between the between the, the the cross and the grave, you know, and the and the and him ascending. We're gonna talk about the three days that changed the world. Uh, not next week, but the following week we'll probably look at that. And we're gonna see what what Jesus did on the cross. What he did when he died, he went to hell, and then when he was raised again, when he went to heaven, what he did in heaven, and then what that means for us. And see, all of that has to do with our covenant. And man, I mean, it's, it's incredible. So point number three, Jesus was the unique Son of God. That word unique is interesting because, um, uh, and I put in here, if Jesus would have come into the world through natural birth like us, he would have he would have, he would have no uniqueness at all in relation to the Father, uh, to God the Father. In John one uh, one eighteen and John three sixteen and First John four nine, both of those we know John three sixteen says uh, it, it says for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That word begotten is the word unique in the like in the Amplified. It says His unique Son. John one eight says uh, John one eighteen says the same thing. 1 John 4, 9 says the same thing. What that means is this. You know, Jesus wasn't just just some, somebody out there, you know, that God picked and said, oh, you're going to be good enough. He was unique in meaning that He was the only Son that God had. He was His only begotten Son. Now, people, people will say all the time, I hear people say, well, well, where did God come from? Where did Jesus come from? Where did the Holy Spirit come from? The Bible says He always has been, always will be. There was never a time that God wasn't, and there'll never be a time that God isn't. I don't understand all that, but I just believe it. Amen. I mean, in other words, everything that was created come from God. Everything that'll ever happen. I mean, you know, God. God. There'll never be a time when God isn't, and there was never a time in the past where God wasn't. Amen. Listen, there's some things you just have to accept. You know, and here's one of them. You're not God. You know, there is a God and you're not Him. 
you know, so sometimes we, you know, I, I, I mean, there's people a whole lot smarter than me that understand a whole lot more than me. And, but, you know, some things I just say, yes, Lord, I, I believe that. You know, <laughs> just, just because His Word says it. Amen? Now, here's, here's a key. Now, listen to this. Point four, and we're going to finish up and tie all this up together. The Bible was right about Jesus' birth. People say all the time that the Bible, you know, there's mistakes in the Bible, there's contradictions in the Bible, there, you know, the Bible's not perfect, um, you know, why I believe the Bible, things like that. But here's what you have to know. Listen, listen to these two points, and we'll look at these two scriptures and talk about this just for a second. If Jesus was not truly born of a virgin, then the Bible would be wrong. Because the Bible says He was born of a virgin. If that is not true, and I think I put that on the next one. If the Bible, well, I put it this way. I put, if the Bible is correct on the virgin birth, then it's right on all, all the other issues. You can turn that around and say this. If the Bible's wrong on the virgin birth, then it's wrong on everything. If the Bible's wrong about the resurrection, then it's wrong on everything. These central points that, that, that are, that are, that are centerpieces of the Christian faith if you, you know, you cannot, you know, th- there's no way that you, can, that you can believe that Jesus was not born of a virgin and still have salvation. Because that's part of who He is. You see, because if you don't believe that He was born of a virgin, if you believe that He was just another man, then the whole plan of redemption will not work for you. Because, because then you would have to say that Jesus had a sin nature, and if He had a sin nature, He couldn't be your sacrifice. If He couldn't be your sacrifice, your judgment's not paid for. If your judgment's not paid for, you're in trouble. You know, Paul, Paul, Paul talked about the resurrection. He said, he said, listen, if Jesus was not resurrected, he said, then, then all of our preaching is in vain. And he said, we, we that believe that are among most men most miserable. Among all men, most miserable. <laughs> you know, so, so he said, listen, you have to believe. Look at these two scriptures. 2 Timothy, and we'll, we'll finish up here. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says this. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be made perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Amplified says this in verse 16. I like this. He says, Every Scripture is God-breathed, given by His inspiration, and profitable for instruction, for reproof, for conviction of sin, for correction of error, for discipline and obedience, and for training in righteousness in holy living in conformity to God's will and thought, purpose, and action. So every scripture, in other words, this whole book is God-breathed, given by His inspiration, and profitable to us. Look at Second Peter, and, and this will be our last passage, I believe. Second Peter. And man, this is good news, because if, if we can have assurance... If we can have assurance that the Bible is true and that, that Jesus came from a virgin, He was born of a virgin, He lived a sinless life, He died on the cross, He was raised again, then if we believe that, then we'll be just like Abraham 
And we can, we, can, we can walk in the same blessings that Abraham walked in and greater. Man, that's awesome. Um, verse, uh, 1 Peter 2, 20, 20 and 21. And I'll just read this from the Amplified. He says, Yet first you must understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of personal or private or special interpretation, loosening or solving. For no prophecy ever originated because some man willed it. To do so, it, it, never, it never came by human impulse. But men spoke from God who were born alone, moved and impelled by the Holy Spirit. So what did he say there? He just basically said this. Man didn't come up with the Bible. Now men wrote the Bible, but every person that penned Every, every book that was written, that man was inspired by God to write down certain words. And there's not one word, there's not one word in here that's in here by accident. Now listen, and I do understand, you have, you know, man, you probably got a hundred different translations today. You know, and, and you know, when, when he was saying that, and you have some translations that are just wrong. I mean, some of them are just having a wrong... Because what is a translation? A translation is somebody's opinion of what it says. You know, but the original, the original language, the original penning of the Scripture came from God through, through men and women, and, and it was penned by holy men of old, the Bible says, and, and, it, was, and it, was, it was right. Now, what we've done with it, just like, just like God, gave, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments... And man made 390 out of them. I mean, by the time you get to the end of the Old Testament, you know, man took 10 and made 390. So that shows you what man will do with, with 10 simple things. Right? But here's, here's, the point, here's the point I want you to see. Why, why, is, why is the virgin birth so important? First and foremost, it's important because the Bible says it. Right? I mean, the Bible says he was born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin. But m much more than that, these points that I gave you tonight, if he wasn't born, if he wasn't born of a virgin, then he, he could not have the perfect nature that he had. He could not have been the perfect sacrifice. He could not have been... God could not have accepted his sacrifice because, because if, he, if he had any sin in his life whatsoever, he, could not, he was not perfect. And if that's the case, then you and I are in big trouble. But i got good news for you. The Bible is true. Jesus was born of a virgin. And He lived a sinless life. He willingly gave His life up on the cross. He was buried. For three days, He was, he was in the pit of hell. On the third day, He rose again. He offered His blood in the, the heavenly holy of holies. And God accepted it once and for all. And because of that, you and I now have a way of salvation. And that salvation includes much more than just our ticket to heaven, as we've already looked at. And we'll look at some more things to build some more cases about that here in the coming weeks. But the virgin birth, the story, the story of what, what we call the story of Christmas, is so much more important than just a Christmas card. You know, it's, it's, it's something that should, be, that should be told year-round. It shouldn't be just dedicated just to, to the month of December, Right? I mean, why? Because, because it is central to our Christian faith. Amen? Alright, 
I want to do something very dangerous. Any questions on that? Because <laughs> you can throw some whoppers at that. Any any questions, or did I confuse you? Did I, you know, any any comments about that, real quick? Paul. That's right. Yeah, the virgin birth is central to to the Christian faith. I mean, it you know it has to be. And listen, Abraham believed in the supernatural. He believed when God told God told him that that from his loins would come the seed. He believed in the supernatural birth, just like you and I have to. We have to believe in the virgin birth, the supernatural. It was the most supernatural, most miraculous thing. One of the most miraculous stories you read in the Bible is how a virgin can have a baby. Right, so so that's why that's why the story. Hopefully, hopefully that came across to where you could understand that. But that's why the virgin birth is is important to us as Christians because it's central to our beliefs. Amen, amen. All right. Well, let me pray for you, and we'll we'll be dismissed. So, Father, we love you. We thank you for the word tonight. Thank you for the virgin birth, Lord. Thank you that that the, for the stories we read it, we we understand it. Father, we may not fully understand everything about it, but Father, we we do know this. We believe it. And Father, so I thank you. Uh, I thank you for giving us the faith to believe what your word says. We we believe in your word. We believe it's true. And because of that, Lord, just like Abraham, we we walk in the blessings of the covenant. So we thank you for that. Pray blessings upon each person uh, as we go our ways tonight and and the rest of this week. Thank you for for putting people across our path that we can uh, that we can be a blessing to, that we can shine the light of Jesus on, Father. And thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.